Jumping in here to let you guys know that this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than average because there were some technical issues. Katie is actually driving during this recording and was going through some pretty low data areas, I guess. So there was some uh, issues with the audio as well as just cutting out. And so we shortened it up and are going to make this a part one of a two-part episode so we can answer the rest of your guys' questions. Thanks. Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 74, where we take listener questions about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives and your poly lives. Yeah, so I sent out a uh, message to our listeners and and new listeners, uh, because I also kind of broached Facebook on this and said, hey, I, even if you aren't a listener, let me know your poly questions. So we have a ton. We might not get to all of them today. If you did submit a question, we actually might have to do a part two because we got a lot of response, which is really great. Um, so I will just start it off with our first question that actually comes from Instagram. How does one handle when your partner's wife doesn't like you all of a sudden? Prior to this year, all three of us were hanging out, creating kitchen table V relationship where the hinge is the guy. And in January, we all went out. And so this is a, a, a woman who is messaging me. In January, we all went out to Vegas and she blew up on me. And ever since then, I haven't really been able to come to come around. And it's frustrating my guy. And just recently, I came to find out that she was only okay with me showing up because she was seeing someone else. But now that she's not, because my guy was pushing her to end things on her end, it is no good for the dynamics with us. And it's affecting my relationship with my guy. I told him not to get into involved and to allow her to explore and discover. But no, he pushed and she ended it. And now she doesn't like me when I was originally on her side. So now I need some advice on how to handle all of this. Thanks. Well, I think that you're going to need to have a conversation with her and kind of clear the air between the two of you, because if the two of you are having these sort of oblique communications through him, there's enormous opportunity for misunderstanding and confusion and people to not be clear about things. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot going on for her that actually doesn't have anything to do with you. But there's no way to know really without the two of you sitting down and having a conversation. I also wonder if there's some like uh, OPP uh, one penis policy thing going on for this guy because he was pressuring her to end her relationship with this other person. We don't know the circumstances of that at all. But is he really embracing polyamory to the point and making it fair? with his wife or partner um, because it's 
seeming like, you know, the, the writer says he pushed for her to end her relationship and then she did. And maybe she's feeling very resentful. And sometimes those resentful feelings um, end up forming into almost like a revenge. Well, like a tit for tat. Well, I had to end my relationship. Now you have to end yours because now I, f- I feel really bad and it's affecting me. Uh, because you made me feel bad, that kind of thing. And now mm-hmm. I want to make you feel bad in return. And I think ultimately that has to be, that aspect of their relationship has to be addressed and maybe that she didn't want to end the relationship and she's feeling a certain way about that. Um, and it's affecting everything else because of it. Uh, but also I, I, I'll, oftentimes when a, when a problem, quote unquote, is with a metamor the the real problem was with your partner because if they are being like puppeted by their part by their husband or wife or whatever primary whatever if they're being controlled by another person it is still ultimately their choice so if this person's wife is telling him he has to end it is kind of vetoing it at the end of the day it is still his choice to end the relationship and if he does that's not the fault of his partner even if they're threatening, giving ultimatums, whatever, not standing up for yourself and your autonomy and making the choice that you want to make in your relationship is, is your choice, is, is your issue. Um, and so I think ultimately having that conversation with your partner saying, hey, if you're going to let your wife tell you what to do, that's, that's maybe a boundary of yours. It, you know, it's a boundary of mine for sure. Like I'm not going to be with someone who doesn't want to be with me and who makes that choice that their wife's issues, concerns, and insecurities trump my happiness. I think that's really reasonable and a great point. Like there may be that resentment between the two of them is definitely an entirely likely thing. And we don't know anything about why he pushed her to end her relationship. Maybe it was the one penis policy. Maybe it was that he saw, Um, you know, signs of abusive behavior. Maybe it was that, you know, everybody was partying too hard and he didn't think it was healthy. Like there could be any number of legitimate or unreasonable reasons why he did that. And we don't have enough information. And probably that too is something that a conversation between you and your metamor would provide a lot more clarity about. Like, you know, and letting your your metamor know that, like, if she thought he was in the wrong, that she should do something about that, too, that she should if, say, she ended a relationship she really wanted to stay in. Maybe you should try to get back into that relationship or get into a new relationship, you know, like whatever the case may be. Again, maybe the concerns were legitimate and she agreed with him, but begrudgingly, you know, (laughs) like. Right. um, Right. So there. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to explore there. And hopefully she's open to communication. Sometimes people need time to really, and, and sometimes that can feel like an unreasonable amount of time, but sometimes people need time to really self-reflect and then be able to communicate it with a metamor or a partner. But putting your partner, that guy in the V situation, the hinge, uh, as the go-between is a recipe for disaster. I have definitely done that too. There's always something his emotions and feelings on the issue is going to like taint the message. And it's always going to be a bad um, it's going to be like a translator who is going to, you know, play telephone, too. (laughs) Yeah. 
All right. So let hopefully, yeah, happening. let us know. Yeah. Hopefully that helps. Hopefully you're able to talk to this, uh, your metamor and, and get through this. Cause, but, but again, I want to stress that ultimately your metamor isn't going to force the relationship to end. That is something that is your partner's choice. So if that's on your partner, that is his choice um, that you can communicate with him about, but um, hopefully he doesn't let someone else quote unquote, make his decisions for him. Right. Agreed. All right. So here's another one. I'm dealing with newly long distance relationship. And I'm wondering how does one distinguish between dear friends with whom you are sometimes intimate and partners? Well, I guess my first question is, does it really matter? That would also be my question. Why? <laughs> Why does it matter? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, it depends, I guess, on what you expect from a partner that might be different from what you expect from a friend. Um, and in that case, what I would want to, well, in any case, it's something you're going to have to negotiate and talk about with the human being in question and whether you two want to continue considering yourselves partners, even though you're no longer geographically convenient, or whether you want to consider yourselves, you know, sexy friends, comet relationship, like there's any kind of label that you could put on it. And it's really about what do you want? What do you feel in your heart? And what do they want? And what do they feel in their heart? Yeah, long distance can be really difficult. And and I do plan to probably have another um, guest talk about that soon because uh, one of our previous guests actually is kind of creating like a, a how-to class on it. And so I want to work with her about maybe making another episode on on long distance relationships. But there are a ton of hard things that happen when distance is created between people. And a lot of us realized that during the pandemic, right? If, if we weren't, even if we were a few houses away on the same street, we realized how hard it was to not be in close contact with partners. And, and a lot of relationships, poly or otherwise, ended during the pandemic for this very reason, right? So, so there are, there's a lot of resources out there when it comes to um, ways to continue a long distance relationship. But if the fundamental thing that makes a partnership for you is either sex or touch, then the relationship is going to have issues, right? Like for people who, who need that closeness, maybe then the difference for you between a partner and a friend is the sexual component or is the intimacy. In which case I would, yeah, maybe have a conversation with your partner who is moving or who has already moved and say like, do you also do you also agree that the difference between like capital P partner and good friend or intimate friend, friends with benefits, whatever, is the sexual component? And then do you want to consider this relationship more friends or do you want to work to find an intimate component while being long distance? Because that does exist. It's more difficult. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Like I have a long distance partner and I am absolutely one of those people for whom touch is my primary love language. And, you know, the fact that we can only see each other a couple of times a year, even pre pandemic, um, you know, is definitely a challenge, but the way that I think we think about it is like, this is a long-term commitment and we want to maintain this romantic and sexual relationship that is distinct from 
being friends to occasionally get together and hook up. Um, but it's really about how you want to frame it mm-hmm. and how you both want to frame it. And sometimes absence does make the heart grow fonder, right? Sometimes having a little distance between people makes everything a little bit more exciting and fun when you do finally get together. So I have definitely seen really successful long distance relationships, mostly because they do get those like one or two times a year or a month or whatever, where they get to hang out, they get to have a really wonderful day or weekend or week together. And it's beautiful and wonderful. And then and then they go apart. And, you know, um, but yes, I would say that ultimately the difference between a good friend who you are intimate with and a partner, quote unquote, doesn't really have to be anything. Like I would say my husband is my best friend who I am intimate with. And he's also my husband and he's also my nesting partner. And he's also like labels overlap in a lot of ways. He's also my co-parent and he can be one of those things or all of those things at the same time. It's a yes and in my opinion. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Next question. Also from Facebook. Um, oh, this is a kind of tough one, but we'll try to, we'll try. I, and I do want this to be its own episode one day, but we'll try to broach on it today. What is a good way to handle the situation when a partner brings an STI into the polycule through hookups? Communication, communication, communication. Um, I think it depends a little bit on what the STI is. I mean, I think it doesn't, you have to tell people regardless. Oh, yeah. But, but there's, there are levels of like, well, is this an, a one antibiotic and you're done STI or you will have it for the rest of your life and it will affect everything, everything, right? Like mm-hmm. HIV will affect everything basically. Right, right. Yeah, the conversations are definitely going to be different depending on those. I think, um, you know, you also really probably have to have a conversation for the future about what your expectations are in terms of safer sex and communication and sort of planning. But I would say those conversations should have happened first, ultimately, right? Like in an ideal world, mistakes happen, things happen, right? But if you are going to be fluid bound, let's say, and that's, that's just meaning like, folks in this polycule are not necessarily wearing protection. They're not wearing condoms or dental dams or gloves or whatever. If you have all decided you are not going to be wearing protection and you all know that one person or two or three or all people engage in potentially more risky sexual hookups, meaning like, I mean, definition of hookup varies, but like random sexual encounters also potentially without protection, that is a risk that you were aware of, potentially, hopefully, and agreed to that risk. And, and you can, everyone can agree to that risk if they, if they feel comfortable with it, or they cannot agree to it and say, for me, I don't feel comfortable with that. So I'm going to wear condoms. I'm going to wear dental dams. I'm going to wear gloves, whatever your level of protection you want, you can protect your body. I would go as far as to say that you can't force anyone else to do that, but you can protect your body. And that risk aware sex specifically means, you know, the risks going into the sexual situation and you can protect yourself to the level that you deem fit. And if you say, I don't want protection, all of the risk that I'm aware of is okay with me, which again is totally fine. You have to know STIs is a possibility. It is a probability if there are a lot of people having sex, honestly. And it, it could be as much as, you know, an antibiotic one t- or two pills, you're done. 
it's everyone's fine, whatever. Maybe there's a little trauma that happens because you had to go to a doctor and that sucks. But two, as much as a lifelong STI like HIV, like potentially like herpes or something like that, that you that there is no cure for. I think the I felt like the question implied that there had not been prior awareness or consent for uh, folks to engage in whatever kind of level of risk they were comfortable with outside of the polycule. I, I and assume I think- that as well, which is sad because you should have those conversations. But I assume the only way that that happened was because they were not aware. Right. Or, you know, that somebody had an agreement and broke it. That's also um, true. And it happens. And I think, yeah, it does. And I think, you know, there's we all get a little dumb around sex sometimes and and definitely our level of understanding of risk is also impacted by alcohol or other uh, substances compounds risk. So it's actually been studied that people who are cheating on their partner will often off also not wear protection and sometimes bring something back because like they're already doing something risky. It's like cheating on your diet. Like, well, I cheated on diet and breakfast. So the whole day is ruined. I might as well fuck it all, you know? And so um, risk compounds risk. And yes. So when people are doing something risky, they'll often continue risky behavior. Yeah. So I think what there is to do there is, you know, have some compassion for people making mistakes, but also have some really, you know, conversations about what the impact of that is going to be, because it may be that, you know, you or other people in the polycule who've now been exposed to potential risk that they didn't consent to choose to use barriers with this person or choose to use barriers with this person for some period of time until everybody has had um, negative tests for whatever they've now been exposed to. You know, the, the individual decisions of what that looks like are not uniform mm-hmm. and there's not a right or wrong answer, but it's probably a good idea for everybody to have the opportunity to, you know, say how they feel about what happened and also, you know, let each other know like, okay, well, in light of this, my boundaries are shifting and I'm going to use barrier protection or I'm going to choose to focus on lower risk behavior, you know, in the, for a while, for the indefinite future, for, you know, whatever. I also would hope and ask that folks in these kinds of situations do keep that like, STI shame and stigma in mind because most people are not getting or spreading STIs on purpose. It is an accident, right? It is truly not a nefarious plot against your partners and loved ones. It is an accident based on maybe risky choices, right? Oftentimes, like we said before, they are purely treatable by something like an antibiotic. Um, Sometimes not, but even the ones that aren't, are often um, treatable, not treatable as incurable, but like the symptoms are treatable in some way, shape or form. So they're manageable at least. Yeah, manageable. Exactly. We live in an age in which most STIs are completely manageable or treatable. But that being said, like shaming someone for, for getting an STI or putting other people at risk isn't exactly the way to stop that behavior, to, you know, prevent it from happening again. Uh, it's 
it's not going, it's not helpful, right? So I would frame this almost, um, and again, post-pandemic is a bit different, but like if this question were, how do you handle a situation when a partner brings uh, the flu into my polycule? You wouldn't necessarily uh, ostracize that person, break up with that person or, you know, whatever kind of drastic measure because of that. Now, COVID, again, little different. We, you know, we might feel a little differently because of that. But like, even then, say your partner, like, was a nurse, got COVID from work and then gave it to another person in the polycule. Like that was a risk that we all had to know and be wary of and and understand all of last year going into still today. And so like, I would, I would consider it in a similar way because an STI, just like any other virus infection, common cold, they are generally treatable and it's not something that someone is trying to do. It is an accident usually. Yeah. I think that's a very, very good point. And, you know, having feelings about it because we're all raised in this sort of culture of shame is a distinct thing from blaming somebody or, you know, being a jerk about it. Yeah. And sometimes victim blaming because um, there are instances and I've heard plenty of people say things like I was sexually assaulted and then I got an STI from it, you know, like shaming somebody just kind of compounds the situation, the harm and trauma of the situation to begin with. So just a lose-lose situation. Yeah. Coming with it com- with some compassion is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This question comes in also from Facebook. If a partner changes the parameters of your relationship, how long is respectful until you can see another person? For example, one of my paramours ended our physical relationship and wished to continue being friends and confidants, which I'm happy to be. But I would still like to find a friend or a loved one that I can connect with physically. I don't want to make her feel replaced or cheapen what we have. That's it. So how, how long to wait before starting another relationship after another relationship has ended? I don't think there is a right answer to that question. I think if you want the person who you have a new kind of relationship with to know how you feel about them, you tell them Mm -hmm. and you can communicate to them like, you know, I absolutely respect and love what we have. And having a sexual relationship is also really important to me. So you know, I'm going on dates and I'm looking for a relationship that will provide that part of what I'm looking for. And it doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with the other person. Yeah, I think this question really struck me because it feels like it's a question from a monogamous person. Because in my mind, I was like, but you you already could have had three relationships going. Like, why would it matter? Right. So I in my, my poly brain, I'm like, you can Im- immediately or you should be able to immediately start another relationship with someone else and it shouldn't affect how your ex feels. Now, that's not, that's, again, an ideal situation because everyone has feelings and they are valid and they're probably going to have feelings about it. But if you desire a sexual relationship with someone and your partner slash ex-partner wishes to just be friends and not have a sexual component your feelings and desires for having a sexual relationship are still really valid and you have every right to go and find that whether you are in a relationship, a poly relationship with that person and continued relationship with that person, or whether you have broken up, like 
you mm-hmm. you get that you get to have that especially if you're polyamorous right i like to say that even monogamous people get to do that but that's another story right so like assuming this person is polyamorous and their their relationship with their partner is polyamorous you can have an asexual romantic friendship confidant kind of relationship with someone and seek out a sexual relationship with someone else and especially in this situation where you are no longer with that person i think go 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 forth have it <laughs> go get, go find yeah. that for I mean, yourself i think maybe if you know you just had this conversation and they've just said like i want our relationship to shift maybe going out that evening and having <laughs> sex with lit. somebody else is a little bit yeah a little um, bit much <laughs> kind of a fuck you to the person but yeah. or, really, or you know like a trauma yeah. response like that's what a lot yeah. of rebounds are they're like i want to feel good right now and it doesn't matter if i'm and and oftentimes those re- rebound relationships are like using a new person to get over the last person and that can be really really unfair to new person right right um, But so I think I do agree that like working on yourself and knowing exactly what you want and taking time with finding a new partner to to figure out if they also want what you want is always the best plan. But you don't have to necessarily wait two years or six months to do that. You can start your journey of finding what you want and knowing what you want and writing out that like. Uh, user's manual for yourself that Cunning Minx likes to talk about, like writing what you need and want in a relationship and then going forth when you're ready. Yeah, I think that's a really great way of framing it. And when you're ready is is the right answer. Right, exactly. Yeah. Not necessarily when your partner, when your ex-partner is ready, but when you're ready. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And being straightforward with people who you go out with, who you think you might be interested in having some kind of relationship with, whether it's a one night stand or a long-term relationship, being as clear as you can with what it is that you want. Mm -hmm. So if you're just looking for that, like have fun, feel good, casual trauma response kind of relationship, there's nothing wrong with that. There are plenty of people out there who are like, yeah. Yeah. One night is all I need. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, but if somebody, you know, is really into you and wants to have a long-term relationship with you and you only want to have a, you know, weekend fling with them, like, then that sets them up to have hurt feelings. So being clear in your communication and obviously what people want sometimes changes, sometimes we don't always know what we want, but you can be honest about that too. And it kind of goes into them. that risk-aware behavior that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And going into the relationship, being honest that you have this other partner that isn't maybe an asexual relationship, but really, really good intimate friends, Um, because maybe you're going to be dating monogamous people, maybe you're going to be dating other polyamorous people. But like having that new person know that you do have a really strong connection with another person is always good to like lay all your cards on the table as well. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. interested in more polyamory uncensored content you're in luck we just started a blog polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com we're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews and guest posts from authors like you if you'd like to be a guest author contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website 
Again, that's polyamaranthsensor.wordpress.com, and we're going to have some fun, new, poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. All right, and we are back. And our next question, also from Facebook, is... What are some good boundaries to have regarding partners sharing things about other partners or metamors? How do you balance a person's need for support and information and another person's right to privacy? That is a great question. And as with all the rest of these questions, there's not a one size fits all answer. Yeah, absolutely. And it it is really hard because everyone is you know, does deserve the right to privacy and your own information being yours to share or to consent for other people to share. But sometimes that information is incredibly helpful or incredibly um, relevant for other people to know when it comes to, say, like STI results and things like that. And of course, you can ask for consent before you share those things, but sometimes it does just make sense that it's information that other people who need to know should know. So I think where it impacts somebody else, you definitely lose some of your expectation of privacy. You can, you know, make sure that you tell the person, like, I need to disclose this to the best practice is probably ahead of time or during a sense I'm going to need support around this. And so I would really like to be able to talk to person X or person Y about this. Um, you know, I can ask them to not share it any further than that. But, you know, in order to support you, it would really help me to be able to get support on this, too. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, uh, technically, having a go-between be your partner, like a go-between between your partner and your metamor is never a really great idea. So being able to directly co- contact your metamor is the best best way to get around this kind of thing, sharing someone else's information. Well, what I was thinking about was more like, let's say um, somebody sh- shares with me something very traumatic that had happened to them and that they're dealing with. It might be that I need emotional support too to be able to effectively support them as a partner. So I don't want to be like running around gossiping about them, but I also like, this is really heavy. I can't deal with this all by myself either. So to be able to say that I'm like, I'd really like to be able to talk to partner Y, you know, just to help me process my feelings about this. Yeah. And it doesn't seem getting like getting their consent. Ask. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, if it's something that they're really uncomfortable with, you can also negotiate like how you share it. Like yeah. it might be that it's impossible to be able to really anonymize it, but you could, it might not be right. Like you could be able to say like, Hey, somebody shared something with me that I've, having trouble processing. I can't tell you who it is, but, you know, can we talk about the thing that they disclosed? Or, you know, if that's not possible, maybe figuring out some other way, like maybe can I share this anonymously on a Facebook group that, you know, I, so I'm not saying anything about who it is, you know, but it's just sort of this, other group of people in the world to whom, you know, you may have no relationship, 
And so I'm not naming you and nobody would know that it's you, even if I did. For sure. And I mean, in my first example of, of sharing like STI results, I think that it is when you are sharing those with your partner, it is a good thing to say or ask, okay, now that I have this information, do I have your consent to share this information with my other sexual partners? I do think in the poly community, it's kind of assumed that you're going to do that when you, when you give your status of like, Hey, I've tested for X, Y, and Z and I was negative and my partner who I am fluid bound with also has tested for X, Y, and Z recently. And they are negative. Um, Like, that is almost like part of those safer sex speeches that, that people form and, yeah. and put together. But of course, asking for consent to share that information is the best policy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, you know, sometimes we all slip up and we might say something that we then realize, oh, I did not have consent to say this. Own up to it, like let the person know like, oh, you know what? I'm really sorry. I was thinking about this and talking about this and it came up and I had asked you if it was okay. And I want to let you know, because I think not knowing that your personal information may have been shared with somebody is even worse than knowing, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So if, if you didn't have permission to share something, and you did own up, you know, be a grown up about it. It doesn't have to be a giant traumatic conversation. It may be that the person isn't going to be upset at all, but they have the right to know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so you said that, uh, so Katie's actually driving right now. That's why audio might sound a little bit de- weird uh, or at some points, maybe a little bit I don't know. At one point, it sounded like you were talking very slowly and then very fast. And I have no idea if that's actually <laughs> going to be recorded or not, but it sounded very interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> so we'll see how uh, it actually recorded. Um, right. Weird outtakes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so since we have um, another like page of questions left, I think we are probably going to do a part two. So if your question didn't get answered today, um, rest assured, we will come back to some of these because we have some real good ones um, and some that I think specifically, Katie, that like, on Solo Poly that I think you're going to have a lot of insight on, which I won't. So that's going to be awesome. Awesome. We- look forward to it. Yeah, so we will we'll come back for part two uh, soon enough. And otherwise, I hope you enjoyed our listener question episode. And feel free to throw more questions at us. Yes, please do. Yeah, we, we love doing these. So like, yeah, the more the merrier. As a reminder, you can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or our email, which is polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks for... Uh, all of the technical challenges today, Lindsay, uh, for managing them. And I will see you soon. Yeah, have a good road trip. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.